Hi, welcome to Capital Stories. In this podcast, we talk to real people about real issues and find intersections of life and faith to encourage you in your personal walk with Jesus. I'm here with Eric. Hello. And Eric's daughter, Viv, is almost almost two two years years old. Okay. And my daughter is almost 12, and then my son is 14. So we are not thinking about college. We're not. I mean, I maybe should be, right? But we're—I'm not. <laughs> I definitely should be, since if I was brave enough to do the math, I would realize my son only has four years to go before we're thinking about college. But there are lots mm-hmm. of parents in our community whose kids are getting ready to go, and lots of students out there, like you, maybe, yeah. who are tomorrow <laughs> getting ready to fly <laughs> yeah. the coop. And so, we wanted to have an episode and bring on some guests um, who have a unique insight into the journey of faith, particularly for college students, many of whom for the first time may have, you know, been influenced by, and we hope as parents have been influenced. Seeds Um, from from parents, youth pastors, peers, the first time. Hopefully on their own. Have people modeling what it looks like to have an adult life with Christ, but now have to make some decisions about owning their own faith yeah. um, as they have to yeah, choose to use their time and, and move off into the world. Yeah. And Kelly and Chase and Robbins are just those people. They are missionaries with InterVarsity on the University of Utah campus. And in today's episode, they will share some of their personal testimony of how God led them to do this work with college students. And also just some observations of engaging in conversations about faith every single day with students. I'm excited for you to listen in. Thanks for tuning in. Here's Kelly and Jason on Capital Stories. I'm excited to be here, Kelly and Jason, with you. So to start, I just want to get to know you guys a little bit more um, and let our listeners get a chance to get to know you, the the couple, the individuals that you are, um, and maybe specifically, like what led you to where you're at now doing college ministry work? Yeah, I could start. Uh, I grew up in a non-religious family. So we would watch NASCAR every Sunday. That was just like part of our life. And I was very promiscuous, really, really promiscuous in high school. And I hurt a lot of people. I emotionally and physically manipulated a lot of girls. And I started going to a church at 16 because I felt really guilty about my sin. But at the same time, I was like... uh, I was a senior class president. I was 4.0 student, captain of a football team, right? And it just clicked for me like senior year that I was doing all these things, all these good things. So I wouldn't feel so bad Mm. about the promiscuity, (laughs) right? (laughs) And uh, I remember I tore my ACL my senior year. Uh, My girlfriend broke up with me, which was very uncommon. Usually I was the breaker (laughs) upper. Uh, The tables had turned for chasing. God, I was was reading the whole Bible in a year. Wow. uh, Just to like give some context. The Bible is very confusing if you grew up in a (laughs) non-religious environment. So I thought Jesus died and rose four times Oh, because I didn't know the, the gospels, gospels were different. So I was like, wow, wait, so sneaky. <laughs> so actually not understanding the Bible helped me love Jesus more. Thought it was way, way so, more epic. Uh, four so yeah, times. I just wanted to read the whole Bible before I committed to Christianity. But in February, Paul says like for godly sorrow leads to repentance, which leads to salvation, which leads to eternal joy. It's like second Corinthians seven, 10 through 12 or something like that. And it just clicked like, oh my gosh, I am, I am experiencing so much bad stuff because God wants to bring me into something greater. And 
Uh, I became a Christian in February of my senior year of high school, went to college, and there was an InterVarsity Christian Fellowship at Utah State University, and there still is one, and I loved it, and I just soaked up everything. I remember we were reading John 3, and Nicodemus came at night. It said just Nicodemus came at night to Jesus, and that was like my big question was, why did he come at night? And all the other Christians in the room were like, who cares? Like, no, no, no. There's a reason he came at night. Like he's scared to, and I don't know. I just fell in love with the Bible through InterVarsity. And fast forward in college, I, I did a debate on God's existence with the Secular Student Alliance president. I went to Kenya for two months and really loved that. And in Kenya, I felt a call to full-time ministry, but Kelly and I were kind of discussing the last two years of college, I was studying philosophy and Latin and Greek, and I just really did not want to go into ministry. I really was like, that's so lame. I want to go to grad school. I want to, I was studying this philosopher called Soren Kierkegaard. I was studying sexual ethics from a secular point of view. And it was, I was just having so much fun doing that, that I thought, I, man, I really don't want to do ministry. But I think there were two signs that we were talking that I had. One was, <laughs> I... <laughs> started meeting with so many people over coffee or not coffee, <laughs> right? Because some people can't drink coffee at sure, Utah State. Sure, yeah. <laughs> uh, I started doing that so much that I started missing class. And I would wow. start showing up to class late. And I just thought, I love talking to young people about Jesus. Hmm. Like they're just so open to everything, which is good yeah. and bad, but they're also <laughs> open to Jesus at the same time. So right. I just started missing class so yeah. I could keep having conversations with people. And I started inviting people to these philosophical conversations and these Bible studies in my philosophy classes. And I was just having such a good time. That was the big sign, right? Mm -hmm. I was just missing class too. Like academia fell at the wayside of like what Jesus was doing yes. through you. Yes. And this is key because I mean, I was, I was summa cum laude in college. Yeah. Got a 4.0, honor student, all this stuff. And skipping and, class. Too. And yeah. I was skipping class. So my senior year, I think, God, I have like an idol of school. So I skipped 17 of my 30 Greek classes. And I'm like, God, got an a. I'm like, God, take it. And I still got an A. So I was like, okay, maybe I should go to grad. No. But that happened. And then senior year of fall, I just felt a call to go into college ministry just because I we love Utah. We're both from Utah. And I love talking to college students. I love the way their eyes lit up. And I love talking to non-Christians about Jesus. And I love talking to established Christians about Jesus. And just, I feel like my story can help show them like, no, what are you missing from the Bible? What are you, what are you just glossing over that's so important, right? Like that kind of, why did he come at night question? Mm -hmm. You know, so that, that's kind of the signpost is started skipping class, which was important to me. And just, I loved talking to young people about Jesus. I was born and raised in Utah. I've been here my whole life, um, but my family is not from here. And so I was raised Christian in a Christian home, went to a big Baptist church in Ogden growing up and went to a Christian school. So really very opposite of Chasen. I probably had read through the whole Bible by the time I was in junior high. Um, so very opposite in that way. Familiar. It was life. I mean, all my friends were Christian, like, it had the very much youth group life. And then I, when I was a uh, going into my sophomore year of high school, my parents actually got a divorce. Uh, and then they announced that our school was closing at the end of my sophomore year. And then my mom 
in just all the chaos of divorce, yeah. opted to switch churches and then sell our childhood home. Wow. So kind of in a year span, mm. like everything that was like stable and steady, that stable like youth group life, yeah. I was just saying like fell completely apart. The ground ripped from under you. Totally. Yeah. And uh, in some ways I think that showed how not deep my roots were. My roots were much more in like the structures of my life than mm. my actual relationship with Jesus. But kind of started a slow drift from God yeah. into my junior and senior year. And really, by the time I was graduating high school, I was not actively choosing away from God, but everything in my life was like saying no to that. And I started partying and drinking and went off, got into a relationship with a guy who was actually attending the University of Utah and was involved in Greek life, started college, and just that became like life. Like my mm. social circles were partying. I worked down here in, at Nordstrom City Creek and I would work all day and then go hang out at the U and party all night. Mm. And so that was life. I didn't really think twice about it. I didn't think twice about God in that season. Uh, I never went to the U. I went to Weber State, but very much so that was my my social circle. That was my life and God was not really a part of it. And that relationship proved to be very toxic. We were both in like horrible places, really selfish, treated each other horribly, and it ended really poorly. And I, again, the kind of rug ripped out from under me. I didn't have any friends. All my friends were the people that he was friends with in Greek life mm. at the U. Uh, I didn't have. I ended up in this similar season switching jobs. So like I didn't have any of that. Again, structure was yeah. what I had put my roots in, and it wasn't there. And uh, my mom had recently gotten remarried to actually a pastor in Northern Utah, and um, I, they were my own. I moved back in with them, and they were like my only friends. So <laughs> my mom and my stepdad. So I just started like going to church with them, and he's mm -hmm. a pastor at a multi-site church where he would rotate. So we'd be at a different campus every Sunday, which felt like not like an easy commitment for me because I didn't have to be like too known I at see. a church, we're but I could kind of like yeah. tip my you know test the water a little yeah. bit with church. And so I would go with them and just kind of go around all the campuses. Uh, and he actually, through that, introduced me to an intern of his that was coming to work with him in his ministry. And she was required to mentor people for her um, for her internship. And I was the only like young person she knew because she <laughs> met me first. She was like, can I mentor you? And I was like, I don't think you know what you're getting into. Like, I don't think you're going to want this. But like, yeah, let's get coffee. And I'm going to like, and I, really my strategy was like, I'll scare her off. Like, I'm going to lay everything out on the table and it's really going to freak her out. <laughs> this intern can't handle me. <laughs> she can't handle me. And she did. Uh, she just took yeah. it and was like, okay, yeah, cool. Okay, what do you need? And it was for the first time in years that I'd had someone listen to me, care about me wow. and like take me for who I was and like invest and in invest right and like yeah. say, okay, I'm game. Like, let's go. And so I started meeting with her and going through like these videos series that are that church produces. And then I went randomly and visited my dad in Chicago and visited his church. And there was just like this moment at his church where they were singing the song, You Make Me Brave. Kelly actually means brave. And oh, I had wow. felt for like the last six, seven years, anything but that. Like I just felt scared and isolated and lonely. And this idea that like God makes you brave was like 
mind blowing to me mm. that it's like not on me to live up to that. It's actually through God. And I like completely started weeping and like my dad, my dad and I aren't like emotionally close. So he was overwhelmed and he didn't know what to do with me. <laughs> and I was just crying and mm. uh, totally gave my life back to Jesus. And very quickly, like God called me into ministry alongside that mentor who's now one of my best friends. Nice. Um and it was very obvious, like, to young people, to, like, high school, college age, because I so desperately needed someone in that time. And it was that, like, lifeline of that friend that I yeah. think brought me back. And so I really quickly knew it was young people. I had a, a woman at our church convince me to become a youth leader, which I was like, I was awful in high school. Like, I don't want to do <laughs> you this. Don't want this I promise. <laughs> you know, like I was horrible. But my mom, uh, my mom said a line to me really early back in my faith walk back with Jesus. She said, uh, maybe, maybe God can use everything you went through. So someone else doesn't have to experience the yeah. same. And maybe that's exactly like, like for such a time as this yeah. kind of line. And so I became a youth leader, quickly became a youth intern, uh, and was just falling in love with Jesus and with ministry. And it was very clear as I started to get to know Chasen, I was not involved in campus ministry, but I knew I was called to young people. Mm. And so then he was involved with InterVarsity. He was getting kind of invited onto staff. No. Neither one of us ever went to the U. So he went to Utah State. I went to Weber State. We actually met through this church that is like multi-site. So we met as youth leaders and started dating. And we were like pretty intentional right away of like, we're heading to marriage. Like, so let's talk about this in a real way. <laughs> yeah. And a big thing of that was ministry. And he kind of was like hesitant about it. But he called me one day when he was at this fall conference and was like, I think I'm supposed to go on university staff. And I was like, okay, cool, like, we'll figure that out because I was still loving youth ministry and we were like, we can each do something different. Uh, but then we went to this conference and I decided to kind of fill out the internship application just just to see. And I was, I was God will make it clear like what we're supposed to do. And at a conference, our now bosses sat us down and were like, hey, we really want you to go to the University of Utah. And that hadn't really been on the table until that conversation. And for me, that was God's big signpost for me because the U is where I, even though I never went here, the U is where I experienced some of my like, deepest brokenness, mm. my biggest hurts, right. like where I just really felt like I was at my lowest. Right. And immediately when they asked that, like my heart just like broke for the U. And I was mm. like, to the chance to bring the hope of Jesus to this place that like I was so hopeless at uh, just yeah. so many nights spent hopeless on this campus. Like the fact that I could go and be a part of what God is doing was just like so clear that that's where God had us. Wow. And that was the big, like I knew ministry was the thing, but that was the moment that God was like, it's inner varsity. Like it's mm. this way mm. I'm going to use you here. So okay. we said pretty much said yes yeah. at that dinner. Cool. We were down to, yeah, come to move to Salt Lake post-grad, so, yeah. yeah. And now you would say some of the most like prominent places on campus where you did experience the deepest brokenness is where we're seeing like some really good fruits, Yeah, really, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, we live now, the university has a house right on University Street next to houses I partied at, like yeah. on a street that I, yeah. So it's really cool to see the way that God can redeem yeah. that 
and can a, use the what what seems to be the most broken, yeah. most hopeless parts of your story. And yeah, and it just really keeps flip a, it on its head. Yeah, it just keeps affirming that thing that my mom said of like maybe your your most broken moment is going to be like yeah. what saves someone else, right? Yeah. So wow. or redeem somebody, or redeem yeah. somebody Cause, else. Yeah, because you're even talking to a lot of students who, I mean, almost one for one went through what you went through in the same place yeah. sometimes. <laughs> Some of the right? same basements. Yeah. So, so yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for sharing that personal side of your, your story that kind of led yeah. you to college ministry. I'd love to kind of um, hear more about college ministry in general. So a lot of our listeners, I don't know if we're even familiar with college ministry and what that world is like. So just take a minute to just educate us on what InterVarsity is about, um, and maybe just kind of paint a general picture for us as to what your day-to-day life is like on campus with students and as, as, as missionaries on campus. Um, and I'm sure it's a unique um, story for you guys in particular, being being married and living on campus. Um, so <laughs> just talk about what university is and yeah. what it looks like for you at the U. Yeah, so I think just to preface, colleges and universities are, are literal miniature cities who have long-term residents like professors, faculty, staff, janitors who make their whole livelihood off of this miniature city. Right. And then you have these four to two to six to eight year residents, right? They're, they're called undergrads, postgrads, doctorate students, mm-hmm. and they also make their livelihood there and they, <laughs> they commute to all these little places just like we do. So InterVarsity is a national college ministry that or a national collegiate ministry that is hoping to reach every corner of campus at every university. So that can mean reaching faculty and staff, reaching professors, reaching janitors, reaching advisors. But our job, Kelly and mine's job, is reaching undergraduate and graduate students of, uh, of every corner of campus, of every ethnicity. So that's kind of like big 30,000 yeah. picture. Yeah, and so InterVarsity, like Jason said, it's a national organization. Um, Similar ones to InterVarsity, if you're really unfamiliar with campus ministry, is Crew, formerly known as Campus Crusade for Christ, Mm -hmm. Navigators, Chi Alpha, and they all kind of serve the same mission, to bring Mm -hmm. Jesus to students uh, and hopefully create these witnessing communities in these little cities that exist. And so InterVarsity particularly does that through kind of the the Bible study is our key pin, like our central thing that we do. And we do our Bible studies in the dorms as much as we can. We can't always get into the dorms. Yeah. But the goal is to be in a dorm room, in a, in a common room, doing Bible studies as the way to reach students. Um, it's very much the word incarnation is central to InterVarsity's ministry. Um, in, incarnation is the idea of going and being and making your home amongst yeah. the people you're reaching and that we feel like the literal home of college <laughs> students are the dorms so yeah. bible study is a big thing we also do worship nights on campus on campus uh and a unique thing about our ministry in particular is we own a home <laughs> university owns a house right off campus that we live in along with another staff worker and seven students and that we're affectionately called the Christian frat uh, by our neighbors. <laughs> That's awesome. and, That's great. Uh, but Tell it, us about this Christian frat. In the I house. mean, <laughs> it is it, in some ways it would function that way. We, we live as, as an intentional community. It's all, all of the, the seven students are all leaders within our varsity. There are Bible, some of our Bible study leaders. And so there's this idea that that's kind of the, the heartbeat of our, 
community that's launching people onto campus from the house. And so we do all of our food together. We do community food and cook meals for each other. We clean together. Uh, so Chasen and I serve as pseudo parent RA figures for these students. And we, in COVID, or actually did all of our ministry out of that house. So we did Bible studies there. We hosted our, we have a big patio. So we host all of our worship nights on our patio did all of our leader meetings. So it is really like one of the central gathering spots of our ministry. Yeah. The key part of college ministry too is, is to change the campus, reach every corner of campus, but also create world changers because Mm. some of these people will be the most influential people in society, right? Doctors, lawyers, teachers, engineers. engineers. (laughs) And there's a whole host of ethical decisions they have to make. Right. And giving them a, just like giving them a relationship with Jesus can positively change and influence that. So yeah, these are such formative times for all of these, all of these people that you're interacting with. Right. Yeah. They're, they're launching, they're becoming independent and figuring out what that looks like. So and what happens in college can really set course for your life. Yeah. Yeah. And when we think about it, like from an economic point of view too, these, these will be some of the richest people in the United States, right? They have an undergrad degree, usually in the sciences and they have a lot of money mm-hmm. and they can really change the world through that in yeah. some kind of matter. So. Yeah. So, and, but our day to day is different all the time as staff, um, that our schedule is hard for us because no two weeks look the same. (laughs) But generally we're planning, we're preparing, we're uh, meeting in discipleship groups, we're leading Bible studies, we've led Bible studies various times, or equipping others to lead Bible studies. A big part of our job, we are most campus ministers of every ministry I know of are missionaries. So they are sent by people, by a group of supporters. So fundraising is a part of our job and the job of most campus ministers. So that's part of our routine. Uh, Then also connecting and we want to connect with the local, local body. Cause like Jason said, most of our congregation quote unquote is short term. And so we want them to be connected to the local church, to the the local city, what's happening beyond the the little town of the University of Utah. So we yeah. want to have connections with pastors and ministries and organizations in the city as well. So our day-to-day encompasses a lot of meetings yeah. and networking and yeah. just um, which praise God. That's that's, that's what a great, I want to do. That's, yeah, love Jason loved doing that. <laughs> skip so, class for it. Dream job. Yeah. Now he's not having to skip class. He's just it's getting his paid job. for it. Yeah. yeah. Now I kind of want to go back to class. Because <laughs> you just want to follow people everywhere, yeah. right? Oh, like where are you going? Oh, can I go to that class? And if it's a large class, yeah, they don't care. Yeah, yeah I'm surprised so. Jason doesn't sneak into more University of Utah <laughs> just classes. Learn and soak it up. I want to go back to. You know, kind of the, you mentioned this role you play in the house and with your students. I want to come back to that. But first, I want to touch on this last year and a half, especially, has been just kind of wild. You know, if I hear the word unprecedented again, I might vomit <laughs> in my mouth a little bit. But it has. It's been kind of an upside down year and just so disorienting for for everyone. And I just kind of want to hear what that's been like for you and how you've observed that playing out with students. Like what stands out, both good and bad? Like, were there some of the challenges, um, like what were some of the challenges you you saw through COVID and through the political and social mm-hmm. um, unrest that, that happened last year? And then on the flip side, um, 
how did you see God working mm. through that? Yeah. So share with us on, on that. Yeah, uh, we were actually on a spring break trip with all of our students, March of 2020. We were on an island with no cell phone service when COVID hit uh, Utah officially, and they were going to lock move campus move classes online. So all of our students, we went on a nice hike where we got high enough to get service, and they started getting a flood of emails about. Because when we left... The world shutting down. The world shutting. I mean, when we left wow. Utah, there was maybe a few cases in New York. and yeah. I mean, because it hit so fast. Right. Uh, so within... And it was almost a joke, too, because we were going to be gone for two weeks. We're like, huh, what if we like came back and the world was changed? Then <laughs> the world... about a week and a half in, we're like, oh, oh. it has changed, <laughs> yeah. actually. Wow. So... We're on an island. Yeah. And we have to get back home. Yeah. So, so that's really when it started and when students' lives changed and they had to move all their classes online, which was hard. I mean, it was hard for the professors. Most of them had never had to do a class online. So it was just, we came back and we had to think about how to pivot. Um, I should have put some money in some Zoom stock at that moment. (laughs) Uh, But we moved our ministry online and really we're in like a survival mode for the rest of the semester of just like, let's just get these students through the semester. Mm-hmm. And it was you know early on, it was like, Oh, it'll be a couple weeks and then it'll <laughs> be like a month. And so we were just kind of didn't know, yeah. but in the summer it became really clear that like this next, the next year was going to look just so different. Yeah. And we didn't know, we didn't know if students were going to move onto campus. Uh, and what that was going to be like. So we just started preparing for anything. We we knew we might need to be online. We knew we might need to be, which is hard how we study scripture to do it online because we do like manuscript style Bible studies. So like the whole point is writing all over it mm. and like having your piece of paper in front of you. So we're to figure out how to do that online. But they opened the dorms limited and we started preparing for students to come back. And so we we started with a lot of prayer. Jason and I prayer walked, walked on campus and prayed every day for about a month leading up to students coming. And what were those prayers like? I yeah. Think that it felt ridiculous to pray what we were praying. I, I mean, because like. it started, we started, it might have been more like uh, like six weeks, but we started praying just that people would get to be here like mm, that they yeah. would just open in some capacity those prayers felt good those per- yeah those prayers felt desperate but then when i was like okay they're opening and we have to like think about what to do and we knew we weren't going to be able to we knew we weren't able to do bible studies on campus we knew we weren't going to do worship nights on campus yeah. we didn't know how we were going to meet students if they even were coming back so we just started praying we, we started asking god like what what numbers do you want us to pray for? Yeah. And I feel like the two numbers we got was 100, 100, contact. 100 contact cards, which you usually get when you're tabling in person on campus. Like getting to do the club fairs. Which and we stuff. weren't going to do. Right. So that felt ridiculous, ridiculous to pray that number. Like, God, how about like two to show up <laughs> at the house? But we prayed for 100, and then our other number was 50. We wanted 50 people at our fall conference. That we didn't even know if we were going to be able happen. to happen. Yeah, 50 people that's... at our spring break trip. And so, we... yeah. So actually, Instagram became the place that we met most of our students for COVID because 
that idea of incarnation go where they're living. Yeah. I mean, one place they're living was, that we could get to on was social media. On social media. <laughs> well, I mean, so, unfortunately, but also, I mean, true. That's yeah. where a lot of people's lives were. Yeah. Especially during lockdown when, right. you know, they couldn't really do anything. Go, anywhere. Yeah. go online. So uh, we slowly started just meeting people and kind of talking about some of the things we were seeing with students was this deep loneliness. Like mm. a lot of them felt, a lot of these freshmen that were coming in felt like their senior year got robbed, but they didn't get their prom, they didn't get their graduation, yeah. they didn't get their senior trip. And now they were going to a school that most of them hadn't gotten to tour yet. Right. Like they kind of had to decide without ever visiting. Maybe they visited, you know, a while ago, yeah. but didn't really get the real orientation. And so they were probably didn't know how to meet people. Right. They were scared. This loneliness, but also this like desperation to connect. And they they wanted, they were so tired, I think, of being cooped up that they were eager to make friends, even if that meant going to a Christian club, uh, if they could meet people <laughs> that way. So in some ways, our first year at the University of Utah in 2019, we really felt like we were battling through like social anxiety with students. Like they wouldn't show up just because they were freaked out about being around people. Like mm. 2019 freshmen were just like, and that was a marker of them is that they were anxious and nervous in big social settings because so much of their life was online. Mm. But with 2020 freshmen, it kind of felt like, the their deep desire to just not be alone beat out any anxiety Interesting. and they just showed up huh. to things alone but like and just started talking to people and wow. because i think and that was we opted to do some things in person outside with masks for the sake of their mental health and yeah. saying like you know how bad if it's how bad is it going to be to just be in your dorm room by yourself yeah, and alone yeah. and i think we saw that the product of that was they were they were desperate to get out and just to show up mm -hmm. and to, that the the loneliness was scarier than the anxiety the mm -hmm. social anxiety yeah. we talked a lot about how fear of being alone was greater than fear of getting sick yeah especially for honesty, college students I mean, yeah Seriously, and then just repeated stories of, I'm only here because you guys are the only group doing something. Wow. And just so many people, <laughs> I mean, really just I mean, thanks, of, but we'll take it. <laughs> like, <laughs> praise God, it's amazing. And people, I mean, really, people became Christians. Like, people mm. made first-time and adult decisions to follow Jesus because we are the only ones doing something. Yeah. And just a lot of success on Instagram outreach. We actually got 120 contact cards just through following people, them following us back, us sending them an awkward message <laughs> with a link, and then them showing up later, you mm -hmm. know? God just moved in relationships. I mean, we had, we were really, really blessed our first year to meet these, this core group of 11 student leaders and six. Uh, like kind of apprentices, not quite ready to lead, but wanted more. So we came into the year of 2020 with about 18, 17, 18 people, students that were ready to kind of lead alongside us and watching the community that they built, the way God worked through them to meet the needs of these freshmen, most of these students being sophomores themselves, also mm -hmm. having part of, you know, still feeling all the weight of COVID, yeah. but just being there and ready and available for for these freshmen and to watch 
really, really genuine friendships and like spiritual friendships happen, mm-hmm. I think was the greatest thing God did because I think that was the biggest felt need yeah. of students, whether they were incoming freshmen or sophomores or just feeling they wanted, they they long for that community. Yeah. I think that's a huge marker of college students. They long for identity mm-hmm. and belonging and community. Yeah. And to watch God provide that through our leaders and through our house and just... At a time the, when you wouldn't think you'd get it because there was nowhere else that was yeah, offered. Yeah. yeah. And with a campus that was open, but open, but so shut down at the same yeah. time that... Yeah, so I think that was the biggest move of God. And yes, totally, people came to know Jesus in really real ways, but they also came into a place of belonging that I think they needed. Yeah, Yeah, and one, a couple other things. One that sticks out to me is we started a fraternity and sorority small group, and we just, it's we call it Greek InterVarsity, and we just started, did our first Greek intervarsity and we had over 20 Greek students show up. And then that eventually broke into sorority and fraternity small groups. But just talking to some of our Greek leaders is, I mean, drinking doubled in COVID. Mm. I mean, the nights people would usually drink, they added two more nights to it. And like Tuesday through Saturday, there was parties. It felt like God was really showing at least our Greek leaders who I hung out with just how, not deep some of their friendships were some Mm. of their best friends they'd been friends with forever they just had these thoughts of like we don't talk about meaningful stuff Mm. and that's really really harder we don't talk about the the bad things that happen in our groups in meaningful ways so that was interesting too and i think that was a big reality for for college students is I've noticed in these last two years a lot more interest from college students in political issues. Again, it's that independence. It's Mm -hmm. that I get to decide for myself. I don't have to vote how mom and dad do. I don't have to care about the things that mom and dad do. And being in a a metropolitan city, like you feel it. You feel the social and political tensions. And so – and I don't, I, Chase and I don't have a strong agenda of changing people's minds. But I I, we don't we don't really care the who – or, you know, that's not, we see both both sides, but... We, my, I grew up in a politically divided household yeah. where mm. my mom was a Democrat and my dad was a Republican, so... So, you know, I, that's... I mean, I'm, I'm kind of free to choose whoever I want, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, so... so but, but what was sitting so uneasy with us was, like, the anger and, like, the, the, the distrust and the, the hate. Posture yeah. The posture people were holding. so scary. And Way that, scarier than their positions. And yeah. really, I mean, especially among college students who, like, voting for the first... They're so charged by yeah. it. And so I do think that was something I also think God was kind of stirring among having a a ministry that was all over the place politically was to kind of realize what kindness can do, what relationship can do, what friendship can do to help us just love each other better and understand each other better. To live in this same world that we both, we all occupy. Yeah. (laughs) I think one thing I saw, I don't know if you'd agree with this, Kelly, but like students were so social justice charged, which is great, but not very socially charged. Mm, Like they were very down to make social media, social justice posts, but Mm. not very down to talk about social justice in their, in their groups. Hmm. Right. And I don't know what that says about just young people in general or Gen Z, but it was just 
it was fascinating that like when push came to shove with an actual person, mm-hmm. there was radio silence, mm-hmm. right? Because they're so used to disagreeing that when somebody affirms and questions, they're like, well, mm. I, don't, I don't know what to say. I don't know, I don't know how to have a productive conversation about yeah. this, right? I know how to have an unproductive. But, <laughs> uh, yeah. But along the thought of God <laughs> doing something though, that, that fervor to post on social media about these, we did what we call Insta proxies this year. And basically we would invite students to create five social media stories, five social media like posts they can put mm-hmm. on Instagram that would invite somebody to large group our worship night. Okay. So like an example was where like the first slide would say, you know, everybody struggles with being fake. And the second slide would say, you know, I really struggle with being fake in my friendships. Mm. I'm not very vulnerable. Then the third slide would say, Jesus helps address my fakeness by doing, by doing this, this, this and this. Mm. And the fourth one would be like, do you think Jesus could help you too? Mm. The fifth one would say, Come to come to large group and we're gonna talk about how we all fake it. Mm. And we had over 30 students do that twice this year. And I think they were really nervous to put it on social media. But our thought was think of what a person sees on social media every single day. And the fact that you're owning your fake yeah. and you're broken and then inviting them into something better, like regardless if they come to know Jesus. That was the most kind thing they saw on social media all day besides like a cat video. (laughs) Seriously, just like you actually being vulnerable in a space like that is amazing. And they were, God had already primed this generation of college students to be on social media and to be kind of vulnerable about their mistakes. So Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it felt like a way to reimagine evangelism and outreach in a, you know, cause you can't go stand on campus with a table, like right. no one's walking around. Right. So it was a way to reimagine evangelism and again, meeting that incarnation of going where students are and, yeah. you know, worse and felt, I feel like for the more introverted, more shy students, pretty low stakes. Yeah. Cause it's not like you have to go and approach a stranger. It's if they want to click through, they're going to click through. Right. And if they want to engage, they'll engage. And so right. it felt like a really easy on-ramp of evangelism yeah. for students. And it kind of did feel like it was countering this, these trends and these patterns we were seeing on social media. Yeah. yeah. So. Cool. So let's let's kind of put the pandemic aside for a minute um, and kind of look big picture about college ministry and, and yeah. just in general. But what would you say are some of the biggest challenges that college students face just in general? And maybe as it relates to faith too, like how does that play into things? One of the biggest things that we see is this idea of, I kind of mentioned it earlier, but like identity and like belonging, but also this like sharp lack of, wanting to be super open. So students so desperately want to find a place they belong and college really promotes that, like figure out who you are, figure out your place in the world. Are you an engineer? Are you a sorority student? Are you an athlete? Are you, uh, you know, are you going to do research? Like there's so much, I think, weight on the college experience that it's going to bring about like enlightenment as to yeah. who you are set the trajectory for the and rest it's of gonna your life. be their whole you're gonna who you are for your whole life in these yeah. four years and i think students put this immense pressure on themselves to find where they belong and what they're supposed to be doing and who who are their people yeah. i mean i know my mom put that in my head she's i made my lifelong friends in college i met my mm. bridesmaids i 
you know, it's this idea that it all comes together yeah. in college. And they show up with this idea, and your first semester of college is not that way. I don't think for anyone. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't think any, I think it's really rare that you meet your roommate and you're like, we are soulmates. <laughs> like, we are going to be best friends till the day we die. Like, it might grow to that, but it's often just a stranger in a room that you just showed up at. And so I think there's this romanticized, even if people don't name that, there's this idea that it all is going to fall together first yeah. semester of, of your freshman year. And, and that's just, just we, not true. Like, we've primed the pump with like Zoe 101. Yeah. Or these shows of like, or like these special. coming of age movies where yeah. it's like, yeah, like we were kind of weird, but then like a monster showed up and we fought it and we're like <laughs> best friends for life now. And Or like uh, the, the idea. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just so romanticized and so hyped up. And so I think most issues that college students are facing is from that even if it's super subconscious to them, like this unmet expectation yeah. of what college is supposed to mm. be like. And I think for even the most popular, most extroverted person, that transition is hard. Yeah. It's just hard to go to college. And I think people know, yeah, class is going to be hard, but everything else is going to be a blast. And it's mm. just... Sometimes class is the case. easiest Some, thing. Yeah, sometimes yeah. going to class is the easy part. And so, and another thing about that I see is that there is this increased, massive increase of social anxiety amongst young people yeah. and, and tons of possible reasons, but there's this idea that this is all going to fall together and they don't ever think like, I'm going to have to put myself out there to do that yeah. even like to really meet someone. I have to, I have to step out of my shell. And so there's almost this battle going on of like how, what you want and what you expect college to be like. And then there's like fear, like there's this fear of being rejected. There's this fear of feeling uncomfortable. There's a fear of, I mean, there's really valid fears about yeah. college, a fear of being out late at night and all these things. So I think fear fighting expectation is yeah. a massive thing that students deal with coming into college. Another thing too, and this is this will sound really, really harsh, but it is abject selfishness. Mm. Hmm. And say more about that. What do you mean? What I mean by abject selfishness is parents and youth leaders and teachers and motivational speakers have kind of primed the pump that college is this country where you can have this manifest destiny idea mm. that if you will it, it will happen, right? Mm. Like if you work hard, if if you, you know, drop everything and just work on homework, or if you drop everything and just work on your social life, you'll end up being really successful. And while that's a good motivation, right? We know the gospel is to love God and love other people because Jesus loved us, right? Mm -hmm. So while students are out conquering the world, mm. sometimes they're seriously ignoring their neighbor mm. with depression, anxiety, and eating disorder. Ooh, to be honest, who's been assaulted and abused either by their family, by their current relationship, or by their future relationships. Yeah. Yeah. So while I think it's good that Kelly is talking about insecurities and fears, some of it is just the broken human condition where we really want to love ourselves first and not love others. Well, and, and we can kind of justify that like, yeah. well, it's college, it's four years. But 
I mean, we know that can extend, right? Yeah. We could say, oh, it's your it's your early 20s, right? Go and, go and rock out, yeah. go and hang out, right? And while that's good, that is a really good thing, sometimes it's just, it's so sad how selfish these people are. And it, I mean, we're selfish too. I'm not trying to justify anything, but sure. uh, I do think it's, it's a similar problem we all face as humans, but we just cloak it in different ways. Yeah, hmm. and I think a piece of that too that I know I experienced, I mean, I completely agree. My most selfish, I think some of my worst habits were formed. But part of that in college is you've had somebody telling you, kind of guiding you, working as putting some boundaries and protection on your life where you should be, where you shouldn't mm -hmm. be, either your parents or your teacher or yeah. a really involved, you know, really involved in church and youth group. There's there's certain structures that are just built into your life that right. are kind of keeping you and hopefully a good play, you know, caring on for the people right path, on the right path, path is, path, yeah. yeah, as path as we love to say. But if you show up at college, no one's making you go to class. No one's making you go to church. No one's making you go to Bible study. No one's making you eat. Like no one's feeding, force feeding you. Yeah. No one's making you go be active and get outside. Right. And so I think it causes this like selfish paralysis where you're like, huh. I have to do it all for myself and I don't know what to do. Yeah. I don't know, is it super important to go to class every day? Should I be working out? Like the food sucks at the dining hall. <laughs> I would rather, you know, so just for the first time for most students, it's their first time where every decision for a whole day is up to them. And I think that naturally is going to lean into some selfishness because if you're the only influence deciding things in your day, you're going to do what you want to do or yeah. what you think is best. And that might have the best of intentions, but without letting other people influence you, you're just this autonomous being doing whatever you want yeah. for the first time in your whole life. Yeah. And so I think that's where the selfishness comes from. Sure. It's not out of this it's, evil place. No, it's out of this it's like, way. it's out of this like being set loose, which is good and needed, but also kind of chaotic for yeah, freshmen. Sure. I mean, here's a prime example, Eric. What what is the most hated thing in a college class where, or in a high school class? Group a group projects. Project. Group projects. <laughs> why are group projects so hated? Because you have to cooperate <laughs> and love <laughs> random people that you didn't choose, right? right. It's almost like your professor is like this deity and saying, "Hey, love these people," and you know what? Those random people are so hard to love, right? <laughs> yes, we can say whatever we want about group projects, but like we know it's our own selfishness <laughs> and it's other people's selfishness that ruin the group, right? That's why it's so hard. That's why it's, it's so right. hard, right? right? Like I think that's the classic example. That's a good of, analogy. Of that we're, of. that we're like, <laughs> we are naturally bent towards selfishness. Yeah. Oh, I didn't choose these people. Oh, this is a dumb project. <laughs> yeah. Who's making me do this? Well, this authority is making you do this that you paid money to do. Right. Like, right. is that crazy? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. But, but I, I, I love that insecurity, selfishness that comes from this freedom. So, yeah. yeah. And yeah. insecurities are often bred out of different selfish yeah. patterns, you know? And yeah. so, so. You've yeah. touched on your role that you play in, in students' lives, and I kind of want to come back to this. And I'm thinking about some of our listeners. You know, they're not some college students, yes, and but many who are maybe parents of college students, grandparents of college students, or just loved, loved ones of college students or college students-to-be. And I'm thinking about the perspective that you you both would bring to, to that audience. Um, you know, I'm thinking about 
maybe a parent who has raised their kid their entire life, going to church, trying to, to live their life in a way that is worthy of the gospel, and then they're setting them out into the world, into this freedom, into this space where they now have to figure out everything on their own. I'm curious to hear from you examples of what what has worked. Like what what is it that has, has made faith sticky mm. for students coming to college for the first time, you know, is what is what is it that helps them to lean on God, whether they've had that their whole life or, or maybe not, like what is it that you've noticed that pushes that along, makes a student hang on to their faith or find their Some faith? Some of our most difficult students have been the best people in youth groups, if that makes hmm. sense, because youth groups are amazing. We were both youth group leaders, but some of like the most promised youth group kids that come to college, when they join a ministry that they're sometimes not the most looked up to person in, hmm. it can be really difficult. Some of our best students have actually been really okay youth students who just <laughs> showed up once a week and then they came to this one and read the Bible a different way or just with different different people, different ethnicities. And they're like, oh, wow, this is amazing. Hmm. You know, so all that to say, like to, to give grace to parents where they're like, ah, oh, they're not that involved in youth. Should or they I be, can't be because they they're can't an be. or they're yeah. busy or student government. But I would say students involved in their church, like either on their tech team, their worship team, or like kids ministry, I would say they have a greater stickiness coming into college than just being involved in a, well, in a youth group. And I think even, am I right? Or yeah, but I think it can touch youth group too. I think because what I was going to say is an ownership of faith mm. out away from like family. Yeah. So you know, because some of those youth group or kid, you know, volunteer really involved students are only that involved because mom is dropping them off. Every sure. Week. But some of them are actually finding life and community in it and are, are loving. They're pouring out in their youth group. They're pouring out on a Sunday morning and they're, they've really taken ownership. And I know that was what ripped the rug, you know, rug out of my feet is I didn't have like any root or any ownership mm -hmm. of my faith. It really was just my environment that yeah. was like my any faith I had was a product of environment, not a product sure. of like ownership yeah. and depth that I was going. And so I think there's I think there's ways I think that can be modeled at home of like how how do you how do you talk about the Bible? How do you talk about faith with your kids that they're that they're thinking about it, that they're actually applying it? It's not yeah. just structural. Uh, but also that's, I mean, again, kind of what's hard is part of that's on the kid. Like, yeah. uh, to a certain extent, I think so many parents do an incredible job of giving all the opportunity in the world. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll pay for your youth camp. I'll pay for mission trips. I'll drive you to, I'll drive you to youth group every week. And these things, these structures are, are great if, if the student wants it to be yeah. great. Students that had any kind of like mentorship like someone outside, like I heard a statistic once that like the the, the thing the thing that makes a, a student's faith stick, sticky the most is if they have five different touch points of like faith 
beyond their parents. So mm. five people, okay. you know, that are, are touching and working on their faith. And so I think like one of that for sure is like a youth pastor sure. uh, and maybe their youth leader, mm-hmm. whoever's leading their small yeah. group or their check-in, but They're, also. But I would say like the kids at their kids' church, even though the kids aren't mentoring them, like that's a touch point. Yeah, a touch point could be, yeah, yeah, yeah. It could be, it could be someone they're leading if they're pouring, you know, sure. just the more people that are influencing your, your child's faith and I, I think of our students that come encountering how awesome Jesus is and actually like yeah. valuing that and like, yeah. yeah. So I, I think that can exist for students in really church-involved families and youth group-involved families or without that in, mm-hmm. in places where, you know, they're kind of doing it on their own too. Yeah. Another thing that comes to my mind is students that love their non-Christian friends mm-hmm. have stickier faith than students who avoid having non-Christian friends, hmm. if that makes sense. I I just think that there are some people who, who have maybe taught like, hey, don't hang out with those people because they, they don't hold the same beliefs as you. And, and that's true. And there's a lot of discernment in there. But some of our best students, their best friends are not Christian. Or their parents. And, and their what? Or their, pa- like or their, their family isn't. Uh, or their family isn't. So I think teaching people to love non-Christians or to love people not like them and, yeah. and what that really means. Not just hanging out, not just right. high fives. Of course, not to but, just be absorbed into yeah, the ways not, of that. Not yeah. just to be that absorbed, pattern, but like, yeah. like if, if you could pray with your child for their friends when, when their friend's parents are misbehaving when, when their friend is misbehaving, right? Mm. If you could actually students who have their hearts broken mm-hmm, that's what I was say. for their non-Christian friends and their Christian friends will have a stickier faith than just students who uh-huh. have Christian friends. Interesting. You know, Cause it's it paints, about having your heart broken for people, not just having people. You Cause know? it paints, I mean, I think it parallels to just the heart of Jesus so well, like his heart was for those that were lost and so longed for the people that he loved to know God. And so I think when students can align themselves with the mission of Jesus that way, like it, it makes it real. It makes faith real. When you have something to like long to see God do, it really does make your faith so real Mm. at even a younger age. That's so. That's a, that's a really interesting kind of angle. I hadn't really considered is um, having your heart broken and, and kind of assuming the role of Jesus in the world in that way. Like my heart is broken for this and I can. And asking for his yeah. eyes to yeah. see people. Yeah. Right. yeah. right. As you look back on your time doing this work, being missionaries, living with the college students that you're serving, what are some of the reminders you've received from God that validate the work you're doing and, and just remind you of the goodness in, in, in what you're doing and, and, the, the purpose, you know, just thinking about this story is is really hard, but it's also really beautiful. Uh, in January, three hours before we were going to start a conference online, uh, a student called me up and said he had, you know, he uh, had slept with his girlfriend, and I said, oh, "Okay," and we were talking about that, and he said, "and and she's pregnant," mm-hmm. and I. I just said, oh my gosh, I am so sorry. And I would just, I would love to take, Kelly and I would love to take you and her to dinner and just see how you're doing. 
Mm. He's like, really? That's it? I'm like, yeah, I, I don't know what to say. And uh, they were so scared yeah. of being kicked out of a community, of being shunned by parents. They were just so, so terrified. And uh, we went to dinner with them. I officiated their wedding, actually, that they moved <laughs> six months before. Uh, so she wouldn't show as much. And we actually just met with them for dinner last night. And she said, I was shocked that somebody responded to us that way. Hmm. I was just in shock that your response was to buy us dinner. I'm like, yeah. yeah. And I thought that was just a reminder, not just for us, but for our whole leadership team and our whole fellowship of, I mean, over, over 20 or 30 people that like, that should be our gut response when somebody comes to us like that. Mm. And it just, I mean, it set a tone for uh, our whole class of leaders and our whole class of followers mm -hmm. at that moment. And yeah. uh, it was just a reminder of what we're doing is so important. So yeah. I think that's a story that comes to me that yeah. is just so, so beautiful. Well, thank you. Thank you for talking with, with me today, for sharing your, your story a bit and helping us learn about college ministry. And also just thank you for the work you're doing. I mean, what a testament to, to see the face of Jesus through the face of others and honestly through the faith and the work of you. So we'll be praying for you as the school year starts and yeah, hope it's a very you. successful year for you guys. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Eric. Thank Thanks for listening. We drop a link to InterVarsity and a few other resources onto our website at capitalstories.com. If you know of someone in your life heading off to college, be sure to pass that along to them. Students are so malleable, so curious, and have such potential in their young lives. And our prayer is that whether it's Kelly and Chasen with university or some other trusted influence, that God would just plop someone into the lives of college students during these pivotal moments and years to shape them and point them to like everyday faith in God. Perhaps that person could be you. Thanks for listening. See you next time.